0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Hi. Theory. Hi. Welcome to High Theory. In this podcast, we get high on the substance of theory. I'm Sharonik Boschu, And I'm Kim Adams. We are two tired academics trying to save critique from itself. Today, we are speaking with Catherine Turk about sisterhood. Catherine, can I ask you to introduce yourself to our listeners?
0: Yes, absolutely. My name is Catherine Turk, and I teach in the history department at UNC Chapel Hill where I'm an associate professor uh, in that department, uh, as well as an adjunct associate professor of women's and gender studies. And I believe I'm here as your guest today because I've just finished my second book, which is called The Women of Now, How Feminists Built an Organization That Transformed America, which was just published in August 2023 by Farrar, Strauss and Giroux.
1: Yeah, and it's a super exciting book, super accessible to folks from all stripes of life, which is a pretty awesome achievement. Thank you. It is about this sort of 70s moment in feminism from which this term sisterhood emerged. So let me ask you our first question. Okay. What the heck is sisterhood?
0: So sisterhood, right, has this sort of general meaning. Think about a sister being a female sibling. And sisterhood was a very important concept to women who were trying to organize in the 1960s and 1970s because it it invoked a kind of gendered solidarity. Starting in the mid-1960s, women were treated as a class under the law for the first time and a class that deserved equality at the federal level. And this concept of a kind of gendered solidarity, which women borrowed with a lot of facility from other movements, certainly the labor movement is really strong and robust in this mid-60s moment when, quote unquote, second wave is really flourishing. Of course, the civil rights movement is really flowering and imagining African-American solidarity. And we see the emergence of Black power, which is also rooted in a kind of racialized solidarity. And so Many women are looking around in this mid-60s moment and see that the aspirations that America claims to stand for, the values that America claims to stand for in the world, the high standard of living, the social mobility that the nation's boosters are really emphasizing, a lot of women really feel excluded from those aims or those possibilities because there is so much sexism, discrimination, misogyny throughout American law, politics, and culture. And of course, for women who are not white, who are not middle class or elite, who are not straight, they feel those inequalities, those pressures with special intensity. The book starts in this mid-60s moment when very differently situated women decide that not only can they work together across their differences to try to advance the status of women, but that they need to. And the book follows three very different women who work together toward that ideal of sisterhood in the same organization. Cool.
1: I can see how sisterhood would be a really powerful term in this context. I'm curious, the historical actors you're talking about, is this a term that they use? And where do they get it from? Like, how do they come up with the idea? Is it like the church and
0: nuns? I could think of like the biological family, sort of what kind of sisters are they? That's such a great question. Um, there are Catholic sisters who are part of the founding of the National Organization for Women, which is the subject of my book. Even more of the founders of now who I should mention come together and build that organization starting in 1966 come out of the labor movement. And the context of union brothers, union sisters is quite powerful. One of the the women I write about early on in the book, a labor leader from Wisconsin named Catherine Conroy is increasingly frustrated as she works through her leadership post in the Communication Workers of America, which is her union, that the brothers, the so-called brothers in her union, who the union expects will be thinking and fighting on behalf of everyone in this union family, are really putting their own needs first and complaining about aspects of their jobs that to Conroy feel kind of trivial by comparison to the women in the union who are systematically funneled into low-wage, dead-end, incredibly difficult jobs. And so I think the familial metaphor of sisterhood implies a kind of gendered connection and solidarity, but also makes a kind of aspirational claim that brothers in this human family need to treat their quote-unquote sisters more fairly. Cool. That There's a kind of equality among siblings, or there should be, Um, But the brothers in this equation have been looking out for themselves to the detriment of the sisters. And I could say that the women who come to the movement out of the civil rights movement, out of that organizing tradition, often have a similar critique.
1: Yeah. And I think brother and sister are terms that get used in the civil rights movement as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. In the 1963 March on Washington, for example, where... Martin Luther King gives his electrifying I Have a Dream speech. There were many important women leaders of that movement who'd been building it and advancing it for a long time. Those women leaders were excluded from the major speaking roles at that iconic event. So, through that movement, too, there's a sense of, you know, we're all trying to advance our race together. Why are the men not making more room for us at the top and also for our specific concerns? Like, why aren't they thinking more expansively about this? human family that we're all a part of. Cool.
1: And I love the idea that like siblings should be equal to each other. Like it's not motherhood, right? It's not <laughs> like there are other potential roles that you would claim, but it's, it's a plurality. Like mm-hmm. there are multiple siblings and that mm-hmm.
0: um, there's an equality. That's great. I think that's certainly what they're trying, that, that they're aspiring to. And so sisterhood becomes a powerful rallying cry for women across this movement of, of the feminism that really flowers in the 1970s certainly the organization that i write about now is not the place where this concept originates and not the only place where it lives sisterhood is really is powerful for women who are doing anti-imperialist work who are reaching out to their counterparts in Vietnam of course this late 60s moment the vietnam war is raging it's becoming less and less popular in the united states as So many service members are dying and the justification for the war is appearing to be increasingly flimsy, as flimsy as we later found out to be. So there's a kind of global aspiration to sisterhood as well, a kind of equalizing among siblings in this metaphorical family, but also a kind of connection to perhaps long lost sisters or alienated sisters or faraway sisters that they're part of this human family, too.
1: Let me ask you then, mm-hmm. how do I use sisterhood, or how do your historical actors mm-hmm. use the term sisterhood?
0: Sure. Well, let me start with them. They talked about sisterhood, again, to kind of appeal to a common set of concerns, a common agenda that women across their many, many differences could share, could come together around Now has often been kind of sidelined in histories of feminism in this period as sort of a liberal, older, moderate lobby group dedicated to incremental legal change. And that caricature, I think, comes from the identities of the founders and their sort of tight agenda that they framed at the very beginning. But very quickly after Now Gets Started, many different kinds of women from around the country, as well as their male allies, see this open ended. Federated organization, which has a quite expansive and elastic blueprint and set of rules, they see it as a vehicle for advancing many different kinds of feminism and working together across their differences. And the book certainly does not sugarcoat how hard that was that women brought their own perspectives and experiences to this collective and demanded that those perspectives and agenda items not be listed at the end of a laundry list of things that NOW was going to do, but that their perspectives and concerns be at the very center of the organization. So I'm thinking in particular of the women of color in NOW and the lesbians in NOW, who were continually challenging the white women in NOW, who claimed to speak on behalf of a universal sisterhood, who claimed to advance a kind of universal women's agenda, which did not always connect to the rights of LGBT people to the rights of women of color in a substantive way. And so this question of who who speaks for women, what do women want and need was always an open question and a contested question. But part of what surprised me in researching and writing this book was just how many successive generations of different women brought their specific concerns to now and believed enough in this project of a kind of universal sisterhood advanced through one Organization to demand that it live up to its stated purpose. And so, you know, you can certainly see kind of unequal sisterhood within now, the kind of appeals to sisterhood that did not always incorporate all of the people who wanted to be there or incorporate them on the same terms. There were certainly plenty of women who wanted to be part of a sisterhood who did not join the National Organization for Women, but. I think even those people benefited from having now kind of on the feminist landscape because as now advanced its notion of of a sisterhood, of an equal sisterhood in which women were equal siblings as part of the same human family, it raised the standard for many people, even as they worked in collaboration or even in tension with a group like now that was so open-ended and mainstream in its aims and in its presence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a utopian concept that like, we might all somehow be part of the same human family. Mm-hmm. But it's also, um, as I think you said, a sort of universalizing one, mm-hmm. right? That might mm-hmm. make some basic assumptions about the harms that women face underneath the social order that might not be true for all women. Mm-hmm. Before we move on to our really utopian final question... Do you think you could give us a little bit of the critique of the idea of sisterhood that came out of this moment and the activism
0: that has followed it? Sure. So one of the, if now was formed from the premise that women had enough in common to organize together and have a single agenda, a possible critique of that concept is that that's just not true, right? That you could say that now laid out, kind of utopian vision, but a pragmatic one, a practical one. And their 1966 statement of purpose laid out a lot of goals that they thought were achievable, which frankly, most of them we still haven't achieved. And so... Sorry, can you just tell us some of those goals? Oh, um, you know, true, true equality in the workplace, true equality in marriage, women having complete freedom to carve out the lives that they wanted to have, a big one that I always come to as a parent is accessible and affordable childcare. So no longer having domestic responsibilities, especially the care of children, be treated as atomized and individualized and personal problems for families to solve. But that raising the next generation is a collective project that benefits everyone. And so this is a social problem that we need to try to solve together. It's a very forward looking and optimistic document about how much women have to contribute to every aspect of American life, not only the sort of equal ability to achieve alongside men, but to have the supports to have a fulfilling life. But the other premise of that document is that women can have a voice that now could, quote unquote, speak for an entire sex. You can look at now's history and see how limited that concept of sisterhood was in its actual application and how it played out. The same social hierarchies that structured American life outside of a group like now were really hard for the organization to flatten, to level, to undo inside the organization. So there were always struggles about what should be on the agenda, should now be more rooted in the grassroots so that all the different local chapters can drive different priorities and sort of be loosely supported by the national officers, or should it be a much more top-down, streamlined, some might say, efficient organization that works toward fewer priorities. These were heated questions that had a lot to do with how to build a sisterhood, how to advance a sisterhood, whether full legal equality through the Equal Rights Amendment was the best way to advance women as a collective and as a kind of sisterhood, or whether the women who would benefit the most from pure legal equality, and that's like white middle-class women who just kind of need an equal shot, whether their concerns should... Maybe take a back seat to the concerns of women for whom equality can never bring justice, so women who need more than just an equal shot at school or at work or in politics, for whom real fairness is a redistributive concept these are big problems, big challenges, and I think you know if some of the women who were involved in now really early on had understood just how big the challenge was. Maybe they would have thought twice about even trying. And so I'm glad in some ways that they were so optimistic (laughs) and so hopeful and so determined that this vision could succeed, that they accomplished as much as they did. And they left an amazingly rich historical record that we can benefit from many of the challenges that we're facing now in terms of, you know, the rise of fascism in America, the rollback of gender rights of all kinds, restrictions on democracy or attempted restrictions. You know, we're not starting from scratch. People have been here before. And we can learn from the things they tried, the things they didn't try, but maybe we could try, and how we could move forward. Yeah, on that
1: optimistic note of moving forward, but grounding ourselves in the past, how will sisterhood save the world?
0: So, sisterhood has been an incredibly powerful concept in past movements, past social justice struggles. I think. Today, for that concept to have the same resonance and meaning and motivational power, we want to think about siblinghood. We want to think about the full gender spectrum. So a kind of siblinghood that is not gender determinative because, you know, feminism has incorporated the issues of trans people who were, you know, not as visible in the 1970s when now was really in its heyday but i think one other thing that nows history shows us is that sisterhood is not enough and that to build the kinds of coalitions that feminism and other social justice movements need you have to work arm in arm with racial justice with environmentalism with democracy reform with protecting public education all of the causes that we that feminism can be connected to actually needs to work arm in arm with those causes so i would say a kind of siblinghood that imagines democracy expansively and Protects all of our rights to flourish in our lives and our education and our environment and our world would be the updated version of that concept. But I think uniting around siblinghood would have all of the potential that sisterhood bore in the 1970s and maybe more. Brilliant. This
1: might be a little bit of a detour, but I wonder (laughs) if you might
0: say something about the idea of the
1: nation. Mm. You know, we're talking about American feminism, which is a particularly specific. Historical concept that uses Mm -hmm. sisterhood in a particular way. Mm -hmm. Not to say that term wasn't used elsewhere, but what's national about this organization, this term?
0: Yeah. You know, I think for now, the founders at least were thinking about advancing women and building a sisterhood within the bounds of the United States, in part because the founders at least were really focused on changing law. And they're thinking about the American system of laws, they're thinking about state laws. So that's perhaps why they framed the organization as they did. But in the 1990s, I mean, the book ends uh, thinking about how powerful the vision of a global sisterhood really was. Starting in the 1980s with the election of Ronald Reagan and a more conservative turn in American politics and culture, a lot of feminists do start to look overseas and build those, strengthen those links to women in other countries. If you think of the nation as a human family and siblings within that nation, that's a powerful concept. There are a lot of concepts that feminists can effectively appeal to that come with the values of the nation, the laws and traditions of the nation, the historic inequality that certain people have faced inside the nation, and yet many feminists have always understood that changing the nation is not enough. Yeah, Uh,
1: we have to change the world.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Thank
1: you so much for coming and speaking with us. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Same here. Thanks for the invitation. I enjoyed being with you. And thank you for listening to High Theory. If you like our podcast, please review and subscribe wherever you get your podcast fixed. Owen Quinn composes our theme music, Sharonic Bosu and Kim Adams edit our audio, and Sharonic Bosu manages our social media. You can find High Theory on the New Books Network. And also on hightheory.net. We hope you have a highly theoretical day.